0: Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. I want to take this opportunity to say uh, good morning to each of you that are here. Certainly glad for your presence. Um, As has been said, you could be a lot of different places this morning, but you've chosen to be here, and we're very thankful and grateful for that. Oftentimes... uh, you know, when I'm looking about what I should should uh, teach on, I look in the mirror because there is uh, a wealth of sermon topics staring back at me. So I want to talk a little bit this morning about some things that, that are useful for me and I hope you find them useful as well. Very thankful uh, for the prayers this morning, particularly for that on my behalf. Thank you for that. Uh, Brother Mark texted me this morning and Remind me of the topic and lead songs appreciate that to set that and Brother Craig for your words at the table. All of those things um, tend to go exactly with uh, what I intend to discuss this morning. I want to talk about counting the cost. And I want to do that because I fear that oftentimes when we um, are talking to others, About discipleship, about being saved, about becoming a member of the body of Christ. We forget to talk about the cost associated with that. And brethren, there's a cost. That last song talked about cost that we have associated with discipleship. Jesus did not leave us with zero instruction about that, He talked about a cost. And in fact, he says that's part of becoming a member of his body. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, Jesus speaking here says what? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now probably everybody here has heard that multiple times. Many people have this committed to memory. It's a wonderful teaching. But when you and I sit down and ponder what this means to us in our individual Christian lives, what do we see? Have we really stopped to count the cost associated with that verse, with that thought? Most of us are used to counting costs for many things. Driving in this morning, coming to this assembly, we looked at gas prices, Gene and I. And it's a less cost than it was not too long ago. Happy about that. But I think about organizations or things out there too that have a very high cost associated with them. Because membership then becomes elite. We hear a lot of people who will claim to have been some kind of special forces or black operative kind of guy. And you know why? Because not very many people make that Not very many people are willing to either pay the cost or are unable to pay the cost associated with that. I heard one time that the United States Senate is the most elite club in the world. 102 members, limited. No one else can get in. What's the cost associated with that? We talk about a lot of stuff, right? Car, I'm going to go buy a new car, or my car's not working right. I need new tires on my car. Can I get by with two? Can I get by with one? Can I get a used tire? We count costs. We're used to doing that. What about which school I attend? Whew, there's a cost associated with that. If your whole family has background in a particular school and you go to a rival school, you could be disinherited. There can be a cost associated with that. It could be ugly. Vacations. I don't know about you, but around my house, we talk about that some. What I have found out in life experience is you cannot go on cruises for free. They expect money up front. It's amazing how that works. There's a cost associated with that. We're used to many times looking at things uh, that have costs associated. But I'd like to talk to you a little bit this morning that our discipleship should impact every priority that you and I have. Our friends, leisure time activities, our job, and sometimes even where we live. That should be something that we take into consideration. In Romans chapter 12 and verse number 10, the scripture says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, preferring or giving preference. Sorry, this is New King James. Giving preference to one another. Sometimes I've got to read the slide. Giving preference to one another. Now he's writing the church at Rome and he's telling Christians to prefer whom? Other Christians. This isn't rocket science. You and I are supposed to prefer our brethren. Over whom? Everyone else. Not nearly everybody. Not the people we don't like anyway. We're supposed to give preference to one another. Now there's a cost associated with Jesus. And I'm going to ask, are we followers of Him or are we just fans of Him? Now think about that. It's easy to get on the Jesus bandwagon. And I want to tell you why. It's because He always wins. He never loses. If you want to be on a bandwagon of a winner, get on Jesus bandwagon. He does not lose. But we can be a fan and still not be a follower. Brothers and sisters, we're called to follow him. Let's go to our text today and thank you. Um, where's Brother Hall? Thank you for that uh, for that reading. I appreciate that Corbin. When we get started first of all I got to give you some background to give you some background. The first part of this is a parable I don't plan to spend a lot of time on but I want to set context but I need to set context to this. In verse 15 it says, Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to them, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus has just already spent time talking to them about how we should minister to those who are unable to repay us. Not just those who can quid pro quo, but to those who have no ability to repay in time. Why? Because our payment is heaven. Our payment's not in heaven. Our payment is is heaven. Let's get that right. There's our repayment. And so we're not supposed to look at can these people repay because then we're not giving them anything, are we? We're just trading. But we're called to give, and it's more blessed to give, not more blessed to trade than it is to what receive. So we want to do that. One of those sitting there gave a quote. And again, this is apparently very familiar to everyone there. It happened a lot in Jewish circles at this time. And he said, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. What did Jesus do? He's the master teacher, and he sees this opportunity coming, S-E-E-S, and he's going to seize it, S-E-I-Z-E. He's going to take this opportunity to teach about the kingdom. Why? Because there's no salvation outside of it. None. And he's talking to Israel, the chosen children of God. But he wants them to understand something. There's a change coming. The world is going to change. And guess who's going to lead that change? Our risen Lord. Jesus is going to lead that change. Now you want to get on that bandwagon? He's going to tell us how to do that. Now think about this. Luke chapter 14, we're going to go back, starting again in verse 16. Then Jesus said to him, He said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. Can we see that? The supper is the kingdom. And he's telling those Jews, That are here at this time. He's talking to Israel. And he said guess what. This kingdom is here. And you can have a piece of it if you want it. It's here. It's now. Notice that all things are now ready. What does that mean? Jesus is about to restore this kingdom to Israel. You want to be a part of it? Come on. He's going to let us do that. He continues on or the scripture continues on, uh, with how they reacted to that invitation. Now I want you to think about that for just a minute. Here Jesus is saying that you can come and be a part of my kingdom. You can do that. And it's ready. And this is how they react. I love this when we're talking about it. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. I'm sure that none of us ever do that. Brother Craig talked about this morning about us being intentional about our service with God and how it's supposed to be a part of our lives, right? Not a leftover, not the crumbs on the floor, not the things that we sweep up and normally cast in the trash we're going to find good enough for the Lord. No, he wants what's first. And he's offering to allow us to sit at the table with him in VIP seats. Now think about this. When people went to uh, suppers back then, seating was important. They arranged that. We still talk about the head of the table, don't we? Why? Because that's a power position. And Jesus, after He had done everything here, the Scripture tells us in Hebrew 1 that He went to heaven and sat down where? On the right-hand side of the throne of God. Why? Because there's power. There's a power position right there. It shows preference. These people were given preference. Israel was given preference. And when he called them and invited them, they all with one accord began to do what? Make excuses. And I love these excuses. They're so awesome. The first man said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. Asked me to be excused. We'll talk a little more about these in a minute. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excuse. The last one said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Man, those are massive excuses. When suppers were prepared back then, the supper was prepared, the servants then went out and collected people to bring them in. It was an absolute insult not to be ready, not to be dressed properly, and not to come on time. They did none of those things. They made excuses. So the first one said, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. How many people buy land and never look at it? If you do, see Brother Larry back there. He'll make a fortune off of you. i got a bridge I'll sell you. I have beachfront property in Oklahoma. I'll sell it to you. Just don't go look at it. I bought a piece of ground. I need to go see it and let me be excused. Oh, I bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go test them. I don't even know if they'll pull a plough. I bought them. Need to go check that out. Let me be excused. I got important things to do. I have these possessions between me and this supper. I love the last one. I've married a wife. Therefore, I cannot come. Now, those of us who are married men, we didn't know what all we were saying I do to when we got married. I guarantee you. Paul talks about that too in the book of Romans, and he says, we as married men do what? We spend time caring for our wives. Now, we better do that. If we get married, we better spend time caring for our wives. But brothers and sisters, if that comes between us and our service in the kingdom, we're not fit to come to this supper. We're just making excuses. And two of these excuses are about possessions. That last one is about relationships. And we'll talk more about those because Jesus dies. Let's go back to Luke chapter 14. I'm not sure I can read it from here. I may have to turn around. What happens when you get old? Luke chapter 14 beginning at verse 21. So that servant came reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house being angry. I want you to think about an angry God for a minute. whoo! Whew. There's a scripture that says Jesus speaking to somebody said, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And the king's Whew. I don't know about you, but I think it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, especially when he's angry. Said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of these men who are invited shall taste my supper. What did he just tell physical Israel? You're not worthy to come to my supper because you make excuses. You're not willing to pay the cost. But let's talk about those who did come. He said, bring in here the poor, the maimed, and the lame and the blind. Those are the outcasts in society at that time. They were considered unclean. And I want you to think about that unclean and unworthy is what they were thought. He said all of that's been done and guess what? Still there's room. I love that. I love that. Lord wants his house packed, but no matter how many people we get in, there's still room for more. Compel them to come in. Why? That my house may be filled. He doesn't want empty pews. He wants a full house. We're not talking about poker. We're talking about heaven. He wants us to have a full house. And who's He dependent on to do that? You and I. We are to be laborers in His vineyard. Compel them to come in that my house may be filled. None of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. I don't know about you, but that is scary to me. That's scary. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell the things which you have seen and heard. Here he's talking to John, the disciples of John the Immerser. A lot of people call him Baptist. That can also be translated as Immerser because that's what that word baptism means. And I try to refer him uh, to him as the Immerser because he dumped people. He didn't sprinkle, he didn't pour water, he stuck them underwater. That's what he did. John the Immerser, he was in prison. He was facing the end of his death and sent his disciples to see if this is the one. Is Jesus the one? And Jesus responds by saying, Go and tell them the things that you've seen and you've heard because you're a witness. You are a witness. Tell them what you've seen and heard. What have you seen and heard? That the blind see. That the lame walk that the lepers are cleansed, that the deaf hear, that the dead are raised. Holy cow! The poor have the gospel preached to them. This is who you came to see. This is what you've witnessed. Go tell John that this is what's happening in the Lord's kingdom. And you know what? It's still happening today. Those who were considered unworthy... Those who were considered unclean. Those who were considered undeserving. Jesus came in and cleaned them. He cleansed them. He makes us worthy. Because none of us are worthy without Him. But with Him. We get invited and we get a VIP seat at the supper. Back to our text, now great multitudes went with him after that teaching. He turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, because all these folks are following him, and he's like, are you a fan or are you a follower? I want to know. You can go buy a t-shirt and put, I love Jesus, but I want to know if you are being a disciple. And he began to talk to him about discipleship. If anyone comes to be and does not hate his father and mother. Whew, doesn't that fly in the face of Ephesians chapter 6? Beginning in verse 1, children obey what? Your parents in the Lord. For well, why? This is right. Honor your father and mother. Is he saying that we should go out and hate them? No, but in comparison to the Lord. Why? Because we love Him first. Now let's get that. He comes first. What about wife and children? Remember the excuse, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Back to Ephesians 6 verse 4. Fathers do what? Train up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We are supposed to love them, invest in them, grow them, disciple them. But they don't come before the Lord. What about our wives? Back to Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives. Even as also Christ loved the church. And gave himself for. Yes we're supposed to do that. But that still doesn't overcome. God being first in our lives. Let's look at some of the application for that. He says by the way. And his own life also. Even my own selfish desires. That's why I died to self. And I live to Christ. Because this old selfish person here. Has to be put on the back burner. God has to come first. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I want you to understand what he's saying here. He doesn't say if we do those things, we're a bad disciple. We're a weak disciple. We're an awful disciple. He says we cannot be a disciple. Disciples don't do those things. Now does that scare you? I hope so. It scares me. It's hard for me. But this is what Jesus demands. He doesn't demand a little bit, He doesn't demand the leftovers. He demands the first fruits, the very best that we have. It's not an ask, it's not a request, it's a demand. He is God in the flesh, and He gets to make commands. Yes, we must be willing to give up everything. For him, even those relationships most important to us. Now let's see how we apply that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is. Whew, and we'll rush right through this a lot of times. I'm going to this morning, but I want you to think about that. Sexually immoral, that's a fornicator. Covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. Not even to eat with such a person. And you know what? We typically got that down, don't we? We look out and we got sin over here. we got righteousness over there. we got sinners over here. we got disciples over there. And that line is straight. There is no black and white. Oh, that's all there is is black and white, right? There is no gray. We got it. We understand that. And then what happens? We go back and we look at that and we say, But you know what? What if I really like that person? What if it's socially unacceptable? for me to call out that sin? What if they're a member of my family? Jesus still said he's got to come first. And how do we apply that? Whoops, looky here. What happens to that straight line? And we can put a lot of things in there, right? I can put my job up there. And if I start using something for an excuse, and I want you to remember this, please, if you don't get anything else out of this morning. If I have to justify what I'm doing or not doing, I'm probably wrong. If I'm using my job as an excuse for not working in the kingdom, I need to get another job. I don't need to get another kingdom. If the friends that I'm running with are having a bad impact on me, and they're tempting me to sin, I don't need another kingdom. I don't need another supper to go to. I need different friends. If I'm like a rich young ruler and these possessions, I may not have a lot of them, right? It doesn't take a lot for us to be covetous. It can just take a little bit. But if I'm not willing to give that up, I don't get to go to the supper. I don't. What's more important to me? Who comes first in my life? For which of you intending to build a tower? He's going to make this really real for us does not sit down first and count the cost. Brethren, we need to count the cost because there's a cost associated with it. And most of the cost is going to be self. That's where I struggle the most. And I don't know about you, but working with people a lot of times, they start telling me what they deserve. I deserve to be happy. What you deserve is to be nailed to a cross. The wages of sin is death. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, Romans 3 make that clear to us. Chris Taylor deserves to be on the cross. What he's gotten is an abundance of grace. What do I deserve? There's a cost associated. Whether he has enough to finish it. Oh, a lot of people are going to start the journey. But some people don't have what it takes to finish it. Left after, after he has laid the foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, was not able to finish. I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a building that's not been fully constructed. But just imagine right now, if you were building your dream home, and you ran out of everything that you needed before it was completed, and the roof is not on it. And you start looking out to the side, you've got two befores or two or sixes, and there's nothing out there. There's no indoor plumbing. You know, a man used to live like that once upon a time. I don't know if you guys ever been in that situation. Thank you, Brother Clyde. That's right. And not just people from Arkansas live without indoor plumbing. That was everywhere, right? We didn't have the ability to walk over and turn that thermostat and adjust it one degree. We didn't have that. It was a little bit difficult. Can you imagine living in a house like that? We'd have that condemned today and it would be called inhabitable. But so many times you and I, we start off on our journey to carry our cross and to work in this kingdom and what do we have? This is the building that we want to offer God. That building being our bodies and our temple where the Holy Spirit is stored. Is that the best we've got? Or is that all that we're willing to give? This man started, but then he left the house unfinished because he could not pay what was required. What am I willing to sacrifice for my career? I don't know about you, but I'm an older guy, so those of you here a little younger, I'm going to give you a little bit of my mistakes. Hope you learn from them. Sometimes we live in a temporary part of our lives permanently. And I'll give you an example of that. So I'm going to work until I get enough money to go to college. Well, I'm going to go to college until I can graduate and get a job. I had one before I went, but I'm going to go and get a job. And we're going to have kids, and then when the kids are this age, we're going to do this, and then when they move out of the house, we're going to do that, and once they're gone, now we're going to do this for a while, and then we're going to. And it seems like there's never a plan. There's nothing coaching. The one constant that should always be there for us is the supper that we've been invited to attend. The work in the kingdom and the cross that you and I daily, daily are called to bear. What am I willing to sacrifice? Will I throw marriage in that? A lot of people do that. You've probably seen that. Divorce has taken place. Why? Because my career took precedence. What about my family? Kids that don't even get to see me because I'm working so hard for them. I'm working for me. I'm sacrificing my family. I'm putting them on the altar. What about church? Well, it won't hurt to miss church. It won't. It won't hurt. won't hurt who? I promise you this. Every time I miss, it hurts me. If I'm not physically able to come, it still hurts me. I'm not here. I miss you. I need to be a part of this. Morals, religion, a lot of things out there. What am I willing to sacrifice for my selfish desires? And think about that. Back to our text, or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Now, first of all, who started this fight? It was the first king. He wants something the other king's got. And he's going to go take it. But let's sit down and count the cost. Or else, while the other's still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. Absolutely. Important stuff that we've got, right? Conditions of peace. When you and I go to seek things in this life, there's a cost associated with that. Every time. We call that paying our dues. A lot of you folks starting off with your first job or two, what are you doing? You're paying your dues. If you think because you got hired you should get keys to the executive washroom and your own private parking place up front because you got a job, you don't live in the same world I do. Now, if you've got that, let me know. I want to get a job there too. Normally, there's a progression, right? We kind of start at the bottom and work up or maybe a little bit above that. Education can help us. Experience can help us. But there's a cost associated with that. This is looking out and looking at something somebody else has and we want to go get it too. But we need to look out and go, what is the cost associated with that? These are our desires. Sometimes our dreams. And brethren, there's a cost. And I'm going to tell you, if a king goes to war with 10,000 people, there's a lot of other folks affected by this decision. 20,000 for that other king. That's 30,000, not counting the two kings. A lot of those folks are going to have family members. There's a lot of people involved. When you and I make decisions, it's never something that just affects us. That is a tool of the devil. Nobody here is an island. Nobody here can make decisions that do not affect another single human being. No one. Isn't that amazing? That's how God set this up. Sue for conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's how I know that he was going after something else. Why would he link that to forsaking all? And brethren, if you are not willing to do that, if you and I are not willing to do that, we cannot be Jesus' disciples. He finishes this up by saying salt's good. It's good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, you and I are called to be salt and light. But in particular, salt. And if you've wondered why Jesus talked about that, I don't pretend to know every reason he did, but some of the reason he did because salt was a valuable commodity back then. Wars were fought over it. Soldiers got paid in salt. That's where we get that kind of term, you know, this person's worth their salt. You and I need to be worth our salt. We need to have value with what we're doing in our service towards the Lord. Working in His kingdom. Our discipleship. Value for that. If we've lost our flavor, how will we be seasoned? Now notice the next part of this. Because it's graphic. And if you've got a weak stomach, you may not want to read this. It's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has the ears to hear, let them hear. You know what a dunghill is? If you grew up on a farm, you might know. If you've ever cleaned out stalls, you might know. It's just a big pile of manure. You know if you've ever been around that? I try to stay away from that. I do. It stinks. If you get it on you, you take it with you. You don't smell for a while. It's nasty. If you and I are not paying the cost associated with our discipleship, we're not even worth that. And it doesn't get much lower. That's where we are. I want to remind you that there is a cost associated with this, by the way. In the beginning was the Word, the Word with God, the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God, all things were made uh, through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. I just want to remind you that Jesus was there The creation. He was there before creation, and He knew what was going to be needed for you and I. He knew we are going to be made in the image of God, but we're going to fail. That's what it's about. We fail. Romans 3.23 tells us that for all sin to come short of the glory of God. Yes, we've sinned. And then John 3:16 says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him, right, should not perish but have everlasting life." And all that sounds really good because we're talking about the world, and we're really not personalizing anything. It's just kind of generalized, and that makes it really easy. We're going to get personal in just a minute. Ephesians chapter two and verse eight: "For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves; it's a gift of God. It's free, right?" That's what grace means, that we can't work to get it. He tells us, not of works, lest anyone should boast. What's Paul telling us here, that we work to be saved? No. We work because we're saved. We've already gotten it. The gift is already here. We're not trying to earn it. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body. On the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Jesus bears our sins. He bore our sins. It continues to this day in his own body. You ever thought to think what that means? I'm not telling you that that's a picture of Jesus. But it is an image. And I did that because I want us to have a graphic image of the cost that's associated for our grace. You see, when he tells us to pick our cross up and carry it, he carried his. He counted the cost before the creation of this world, and he said, I'm willing to pay the cost. You and I can't pay it. We can die trying, we can't get there. Jesus did it for us. Now, let's look at generalization here for just a minute, if we can. It's real easy to say, I'm not perfect. I've got my struggles, too. We all make mistakes. I sinned. Right? Very generic. Very generalized. Let's get a little bit more, if we can, into the personalization. And I'm going to do this for me because I don't want to pain you, but I'm going to tell you right now, I disobeyed my parents. And I don't want to say that in a general thing. I can think of specific instances at this minute when I was disobedient to my parents and I committed sin. I did. And I'm ashamed of that. I wish that had never happened. I've lied. I have. I've misrepresented the truth and I can think of a couple instances right now in my life that I did. I took things that did not belong to me. I have. I've repeated church church grapevine gossip even though it came from a reliable source. And I've spoken harshly and unlovingly to my wife. That's not all my sin. But I think maybe you can. Look at those sins and see if you can relate to them. Too. Now let's apply that back and let's make this more personal. Here is Jesus right here. And you know what? When I lied to my mom, it cost him blood. He shed blood because I lied. When I gossiped about a brother, that put a nail in his hand. When I speak harshly and unlovingly to my wife, I nail him to a tree. I did that. Not worried about the world, but Chris Taylor did that. And I didn't trust my God. And I should have. That's the cost that Jesus pays for our sins. Right there. He was ridiculed. He was slapped. He was spit upon. He was made fun of. He had a crown of thorns put on his head. He was beaten unmercifully. And then he was nailed to a tree because of me. I did that. And I still cause that every day of my life. I'm not telling you that because I'm proud. I'm telling you that because it's true and I'm ashamed. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can personalize sin. What about you? We know the cost that Jesus paid for us. What cost are you willing to pay today? What are you holding back? Is there anything between you and your Lord today? Is there anything keeping you from serving Him the way that He has demanded that we serve? Are we willing to freely give Him our all? Or is there something that we're holding on to? If you've never begun your discipleship, Matthew chapter 28 tells us to do what? Go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. You know what part of making a disciple is? Is teaching them about the cost that's associated with the supper to which they've been invited. There's a cost. Are you willing to pay that cost? He said baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's the beginning of paying the cost. There's a whole lifetime after that where you and I are supposed to bear our cross. Are you bearing your cross today? If you need help in any form or fashion, we're going to stand and sing a song. And during that song, if you would, please just come and be seated on one in front of Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com normanchurch.com normanchurch.com